Walking distance is supported by Gossamer Gear. Whether you're looking to break into backpacking or you're an experienced thru-hiker and want to upgrade your kit, Gossamer Gear has got you covered. Based out of Austin, Texas, Gossamer Gear has been supplying backpackers with high-quality, lightweight backpacking gear for 15 years, including their 17-ounce bomb-proof trekking pole tent called The One and their 60-liter Mariposa Pack. Under two pounds and loaded with pockets, it's strong enough to allow you to comfortably carry your load. And some good news for you as a listener of Walking Distance. You can score a 15% discount at gossamergear.com by using code WALKINGDISTANCE at checkout. Again, that's 15% off with code WALKINGDISTANCE, all one word, at gossamergear.com. You're an idiot to save, you know, four ounces to get a terrible night's sleep because you're not going to wake up and perform well. Your body's not going to do the necessary recovery that it needs to do. You know, I've been an elite athlete for ages. I went to Olympic trials and kayaking, you know, elite, elite triathlete. And this whole thing about recovery and getting a good night's sleep and, and being efficient is a different lens to look at the ultralight and backpacking. Because at the point you start impacting your sleep in a meaningful way, you've pretty much gone down a slippery slope to the dark side. From the trek, this is Walking Distance, a show for hikers, trekkers, trampers, and wanderers that proves any place worth seeing can be reached by walking there. And then it's even better when you carry all you need in a backpack. I'm Blissful Hiker. When we backpack, we carry everything we need on our backs. Everything to be comfortable, fed and hydrated, to stay warm and protected from the elements, and to ensure that we get a good night's sleep so we can get up the next day and hike again. Everything we take with us is a choice and a balance with what we can physically manage with what we ultimately can't live without. Alan Dixon is an outdoor guide, photographer, and competitive athlete who maintains a blog called Adventure Allen. His adventures include mountaineering, canyoneering, pack rafting, Nordic skiing, and expedition kayaking, as well as backpacking. He was part of the initial ultralight backpacking movement back around the turn of the century and looks for ways to push the limits on carrying the least amount of gear and still have a great trip. In some ways, Alan's ethic is as simple and unencumbered as the result. To be able to soak in the peace and serenity we long for when entering the natural world, it helps to do so without being distracted by heavy packs. Alan got his start carrying gear on his back as a very young man. You know, first of all, I've been backpacking for, for over 55 years. Um, I took my first backpacking trip into the Sierras when I was four. Presumably with your family. <laughs> yeah, with my parents. Uh, not quite that precocious, but yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, on that trip, I carried my own, my own sleeping bag, which in the day in the 60s was, you know, one of these these. Kelty jobbers, you know, with, uh, you know, the brass zipper and it was all cotton and God knows what inside that. The, the sleeping bag probably weighed four or five pounds, um, which is about all I could do to 
carry it out of Yosemite Valley and up into the backcountry. So how did you go from um, becoming someone who carried half your weight at four years old, um, <laughs> well, maybe not quite that much, um, to someone who got into ultralight? Because, you know, you have to have a mindset about it and, you know, and be really deliberate in what you what you purchase and what you carry. You know, and definitely, you know, there was that the 12-pound pack weight, and then it went down to 10. And if you were under that, you know, you were considered, you know, you were allowed into the ultralight community. Um, and then a bunch of us went sub five pound, just it's, it's a bit of showing off and a bit of just sort of pressing the limits. So then I decided I was going to do 100 miles on the AT. I was going to do the, the whole park in three days. And I was going to do it with sub five pound from the skin out, which meant that my shoes and my shirt and my sunglasses and everything counted that five pounds. So it ended up being about 2.4 pounds of actual like gear in my pack. And I actually didn't complete the 100 miles that time. Um, and what had happened is what you had alluded to earlier that wasn't efficient. There's a post on my site, which I call Practical Ultralight. And it's basically the gear that's going to maximize the distance that you would travel each day. And it's a complex set of factors. You know, I mean, you know, how well you sleep, how little you fiddle with your gear. You know, and it turns out one of the keys to doing that is just having a crap load of pockets that you can get everything out of. So basically, like the only thing that I did pretty much stop for was to pee and get water. So let's get back to um, what's in your pack. And perhaps you can share like what is in your backpack in that one that is kind of the ultralight, but is the, you know, the practical, the one that probably would work for most people. You know, for a, sort of more of an all-rounder tent, I mean, um, that I like is the the Dan Durston X-Mid two-person. Um, it's the tent that Allison and I took to the Brooks Range for 10 days in Alaska last summer. It's a, it's, um, a great tent, uh, lots of 32 square feet of room in it. It's fully double-walled. You could pitch it as, a, as just a rain fly, or you can actually pitch it as just a bug net. Um, this year, I think for my solo guiding, I'm going to use a, a Gossamer Gear 2. I'm sorry, when you say two, you mean it's a two-person tent? Right. And one of the tenants is, I, I mean, I never carry a solo tarp. I always carry a dual tarp. Um, the deal being kind of like a backpack, you know, for an ounce or two more, you get a crap load more room. Um, and that has, a, you know, obviously has creature comforts. And, you know, if you're just one person in the volume of a two-person tent, it's a lot less fuggy. Um, it condenses a lot less. Um, and you actually have some room to spread your gear out to dry. Uh, my hiking partner, Don, and I were in the uh, Brooks Range in the wettest um, August on record in a big mountain laurel designed super mid, which is sort of like a circus tent style shelter. Um, no floor, just like, like a big pyramid tarp. Um, and we were shocked that we were actually drying stuff out overnight because there was so much volume inside there. Um, that it wasn't as humid, and then we could spread stuff out. So you could like literally spread out or hang up a rain jacket and and actually get it dry. Wow, that's a great tip. 
So what about pack? Um, a frame or a frameless? Um, I, I do both. But recently I've been going back more and more to you know, Mountain Laurel Designs, um, Exodus in, in the DCF. And actually I, I bucked the trend in Utah. We guided in Utah um, this fall and it was one of the, the driest periods they ever had. And we were, we were humping sometimes 25 pounds of water. And most of the people were going for a large, going with you know, a very sturdy frame pack. And I went keto. So I took my food weight down to 3.7 pounds for the five days that we were guiding for each trip. Um, and then I just took my gear weight down. So I took a, you know, frameless pack that weighed 14 ounces. Um, and my strategy was, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to have, you know, seven pounds less of gear and food and, and then I'll just, that'll make it easier to hump the water. Yeah. I mean, I find it interesting that you can make decisions to make your pack lighter by deciding, you know, for instance, keto, taking, you know, having food that's much more concentrated in nutrition, but weighs less. Um, you know, maybe taking a little bit less gear. I mean, in the case of Utah, where you have no rain, you probably didn't need to take a shelter, for instance. I, I did, but I, you know, I, the, the two guides shared a tarp, which we never put up. I mean, we <laughs> cowboy camped every night. Right. And I find it interesting in your sleep system that you recommended uh, using a woman's style um, sleep pad. Almost all the men I know use it. It's all about the layers of mylar, which reflect heat energy. You know, it turns out that an Uberlite Thermarest has no layers of mylar. Um, it has a thinner fabric. The X-Lite has one layer of mylar, but the women's has two layers of mylar. So it's substantially warmer. So people a lot of times complain about their sleeping bag being warm enough, but they're, what's happened is they're using a pad that's colder than the sleeping bag was tested. The sleeping bag's not at fault. It's the pad. Yeah. Well, I've heard of a, from a lot of ultralighters who wouldn't use a blow-up pad. They use something that's much flatter or even bubble wrap. So I was kind of surprised that you went, I mean, it's, it, it seems luxury. It, because those, the, the insulation on those blows. <laughs> so, you know, again, this practical ultralight, I do focus very much on sleeping. And actually on the East Coast, I hammock camp. Right. Because it's, you know, equivalent weight. You have far more campsites available and you get a better night's sleep. I got the best night's sleep I've ever gotten in my life. I mean, better than I got at home. I got like a, you know, a sleep score in like the mid 90s. And I barely cracked 90 a couple times at home. And that was guiding in, in November when it was cold and, and raining. So, you know, I think that's something that people don't, when they're looking at sleep systems, it's not something they necessarily think about. The inflatable pad might weigh a bit more and you might have to, you know, carry a patch kit. They are patchable in the field. I've done it a number of times. Um, but, you know, what you're really looking at is, you know, am I going to get the best night's sleep that I can? So I hear you talking a lot about speed and hiking people into the, you know, dust and everything. I mean, ultimately, is the goal to go fast? The question you have to ask yourself is, you know, why am I here? You know, what am I planning on this hike? And there's no right answer, but it's good to have an idea like, you know, if I'm going on solo hike, um, I'm looking for some alone time, um, probably some time to either do a walking meditation or a sitting meditation to sort of appreciate 
every moment I'm sort of out in the back country, um, some personal reflection. And, and maybe that's the goal of the trip. And that, that might be pretty compatible with covering a lot of miles. But I think a lot of people, you know, have this, have this concept like, this is the right way to do it. Like the right way is to cover as much mile as possible or the right way to do it is, you know, if you don't have a gourmet meal at the end of the day, then, then you failed. And those are both correct answers. But, you know, I'm hoping that people aren't just doing those as a knee jerk. You know, I, I'm, I'm learning some new things from like COVID, like it's okay to do a, a 10 mile day and get into camp early and spend four hours in the evening having dinner and wine and cheese and strip steak with friends and and just enjoying a beautiful night and watching the sunset and catching up with people. That's good too. And I don't think that's incompatible with ultralight. I guess I might call Alan Dixon's style ultralight with a twist. Yes, he's pressing the limits by carrying less and very light gear but still by being practical and efficient. What stuck out for me was that Alan is not what we might call a gram weenie. He cuts grams or ounces, but lets a few sneak back in so he can get more room in his tent and in his pack, and to ensure he'll rest better so he can maximize the miles. Packed weight is the weight of your pack before consumables like food, water, and fuel. So in his calculation, it's actually a different way of looking at things than I'm used to. Rather than say, I'm going to carry only 10 pounds of packed weight so I can move faster, he's saying, ensure you have what you need and make it as light as possible so you can recover and then hike faster. Alan definitely balances things by carrying less here so he can carry more there. Case in point, taking wine and cheese into the backcountry to enjoy with friends. He is the epitome of ultralight, but certainly not an ascetic, eschewing all luxuries. In fact, I was a little bit surprised to see a post at his website for a backcountry adaptation of a World Brewers Champion cup of coffee. I am a big coffee aficionado. I grew up um, in Berkeley in the gourmet ghetto. Um, My father lived three blocks from uh, the original Pete's Coffee on Vine Street in Berkeley. So I sort of was weaned on good coffee and I've sort of carried that through my, so another luxury item I will carry is, you know, a French pressable pot. I mean, uh, Jet Boyle just came out with a seven ounce stove system that for two more ounces, you can French press coffee. I think with the new Jet Boyle, I did five French presses in the morning, like five large ones. We were hopping caffeinated. (laughs) I've put a link to Alan Dixon's gear lists in the show notes, as well as how to brew good coffee in the backcountry. Coming up in a moment, we'll talk to a millennial hiker who caught the fever of ultralight until it needed a little personalizing. I started out as a weight snob, and I think I have slowly evolved into being more accepting of extra ounces in my pack. I'm Blissful Hiker, and you're listening to Walking Distance from the Trek. Walking Distance is supported by John Reamer & Associates. On a backpack trip, you wouldn't think of heading out without a map, a compass, and a guidebook. Planning for a healthy financial future is much the same. It's a step-by-step process. And at John Reamer & Associates... 
You'll get personalized financial advice to help you reach your goals today and tomorrow. With the right financial advisor, life can be brilliant. Be inspired at johnremer.com. A private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, located in Minnesota with over 30 years of experience. This is Walking Distance from the Trek. I'm Blissful Hiker. First-time backpackers can get quickly and easily overwhelmed with all the information out there on how and what to pack. But here's the truth. Even seasoned hikers who've walked a few through hikes, like me, feel like a beginner some of the time, weighing out, yes, the pun was intended, the differences in a tent versus a tarp, a quilt versus a sleeping bag, maybe a stove versus no stove. Kelly Floro is the lead writer and editor here at The Trek and tells me her first backpack trip, just about, was the entire Appalachian Trail. You know, when I started, like many people, I was kind of an armchair backpacker and I was just doing all this research online rather than actually being out on the trail, living it and and learning from my own experiences. And so I just thought that ultralight was the way to go. And I, I'm the kind of person that I just research everything to death. And so that actually played to my advantage on the AT because I didn't really have to get rid of anything or change my pack set up dramatically during my hike, which saved me a lot of money and like logistical challenges, not having to swap gear out like from the middle of nowhere. (laughs) It's nice to have some comforts also when you're on the trail. And it's nice to have some redundancies and safety measures as well. Um, I think I've gotten myself in a few jams by being, trying to be too minimalist, too ultralight and Uh, just not really being prepared for the reality of the trail with my gear. So now I prefer to just err on the side of having too much rather than finding myself with not enough when I need it. For sure. So let's maybe go through the three big pieces of gear, backpack, shelter, and sleep system. My backpack is a Granite Gear Crown 2. And that's a really nice balance of being pretty lightweight. It's only a little bit over two pounds, but still having some of the bells and whistles of a more traditional backpack. Um, I think it's pretty well cushioned for my needs. It has a removable brain. It has a hip belt. It has mesh pockets on the outside and, and compression straps and plenty of attachment points for little things. It's a good pack for people who like to be very organized with their stuff because it does have all these little straps and places that you can stick things and always know where they are. Um, I like to not have to explode my pack every time I want to get something out of it. <laughs> so it's nice to have easy storage. Okay. And your sleeping bag? My sleeping bag is the REI Magma 15, the women's Magma 15 bag. You know, it's not cheap. It is 850 fill power down, which is pretty high quality. And there's a lot of it, but that's what I love about it. So it's super poofy and warm and cozy. And I pretty much carry that sleeping bag year round. Whoa. Summer, winter. Winter, I add a sleeping bag liner and, and more layers. But um, I don't really change my setup that much between winter and summer because I just run cold all year round. Um, You can always unzip it if it's a little bit too hot in summertime. The women's magma and the men's magma are priced virtually the same. 
And the women's magma has so much more down inside of it. It's like such a better value, such a better warmth to price ratio. So I always recommend to people if they can fit inside of it to get the women's bag, whether they're a, a man or a woman. Right. So what do you do for shelter? For shelter, I have a big Agnes, a big Agnes tiger wall. And I used to have the Fly Creek, and I, I really liked that one as well. Um, but I had an opportunity to get the Tiger Wall and try it out. Um, and I'm, I often backpack with my partner. Um, so we have the two-person version, uh, which is plenty. And the Tiger Wall has a pretty high roof. It has like a lot of headroom, which the Fly Creek did not. Um, and the Fly Creek also had... Uh, like just one door at the front, whereas the Tiger Wall has two doors on either side, mm. um, which is just like an incredible luxury after months and months of crawling over each other and accidentally like, poking each other in the eye, trying to get out of the tent to pee at night. Um, so highly, highly recommend having a shelter with two side doors if you're sharing it with someone else. Right. And and there is a benefit to traveling with somebody else because you can share things like cooking gear and stuff like that. Um, do you cook or do you cold soak? I cook, um, by which I mean I rehydrate mush. <laughs> I, I do run so cold, as I said, and being able to put something hot in my belly is just such a game changer. And I also think it really helps you to stay warm like all night. Um, like my Magma 15 bag, I can sleep in that down to like six degrees sometimes and it's comfortable, but that only works if I eat a lot of something super warm and fatty right before bed. And then that just like puts fuel in the tank, puts some logs on the fire and helps me to stay warm all night. So just the added weight of the stove is such a luxury and also just it's like a safety thing and just helps you to stay warm when you need to stay warm. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. You heat your water in the winter? I heat everything in winter. I like heat all my drinking water, all my food. I don't put anything cold in. I think something that people don't realize is that dehydration uh, increases your risk for hypothermia. So it's doubly important to stay hydrated in cold weather so that you can continue to maintain your warmth. Um, but it's not that fun to drink ice cold water out of a stream when it's below freezing uh, or near freezing. So just taking a few minutes to warm up your water before you drink it can help you to power it down and not, not dread having to take a sip of water. You know, I, there's funny things that people carry, like, you know, for sure you need a pillow or you don't need a pillow or you need to have something to change into when you go into your camp, um, like camp shoes or a different outfit to wear when you sleep. Um, any other things that you would suggest or that you've learned that you want to carry that may not necessarily be something someone would consider? I always carry a sit pad. Sit pads are super cheap um, or you can even make your own out of just a random piece of foam or like a, a bubble wrap mailer or something. Um, but they're so comfortable. It's like so nice to be able to sit, not on a cold, wet rock. Um, so I always carry a sit pad. Uh, I started the AT carrying camp shoes and I don't carry them at all anymore. I don't need them. And that's like a pound right there that I can save by not having them. And um, that's like a luxury for me that I 
I know I can live without and it doesn't really bother me. I always carry, I always have like a few grocery bags in my pack just because they're super useful. You never know when uh, one of your other bags is going to get a hole in it or you're going to need to like put something over your feet to protect them from water and keep them a little bit warmer and that sort of thing. So for functionally no extra weight, I always carry a few extra grocery bags just in case they come in handy for something. Yeah, that's a really great tip. So we were talking about kind of um, as you were getting ready for the AT that you were reading a lot of blogs and you were really getting into the ultralight community. What would you say that's in your gear that is for sure ultralight and then other things that maybe aren't? To some extent, I almost wouldn't say I have anything truly ultralight in my pack. I, I pretty much have like normal normal stuff and I just try not to carry too much. I, I try not to keep the packing list to a minimum, but I don't necessarily look for the lightest possible item in everything I get. So what ways, like what, what are some of your strategies? I, I think that for through hikers, actually limiting your consumables is a cheaper and easier way to limit your pack weight rather than trying to go to ultralight gear and keep your base weight down. Just try to uh, not carry three days extra food accidentally because you you miscalculated how much you would want to eat. And particularly if you're on the Appalachian Trail or a water-rich trail, try to stop more frequently for water but not carry as much. Obviously, doing stuff like that, there is sort of a safety factor involved in that. You have to be sure not to carry not enough um, and find yourself with no food or no water in the middle of a place where you really need food and water. However, that being said, on the long trails in America, like the guidebooks are pretty good. Usually plenty of people, particularly if you're on the Appalachian Trail, there's lots of access to water and lots of access to town. You don't need to carry like a week's worth of food at a time under most circumstances. And cutting your food bag in half, which a lot of people could stand to do on the Appalachian Trail, will cut a lot of weight out of your pack, potentially 10 pounds or more of weight. Is there anything that you carry in particular that um, someone who was like a complete ultralight guru would say, oh, I can't believe you're taking such and so or that luxury item or whatever it happens to be? Yeah, I carry a puffy, a soft shell, a rain jacket. And a wind jacket. Whoa. <laughs> the wind jacket weighs like two ounces and it hardly takes up any space. So I I just don't even think about that. I always put that in my pack, whether I think I'll need it or not. And it's just kind of there just in case. Um, it's a safety thing. And the other three, I just really feel like I need them. And I wear them pretty frequently, sometimes all at the same time. Is this something you kind of figured out as you were doing the Appalachian Trail or um, over time? How did it all kind of coalesce for you? Uh, I definitely figured it out as I was hiking the Appalachian Trail, and it was sort of hard-won knowledge because I spent a long time being too cold and too miserable and just suffering through the cold um, because, as I said, I did try to start out pretty ultralight, um, and I was stubborn enough to stick with that for a pretty long time. But you start to wonder what the point of the activity is after a while if you're just miserable day after day because you're too cold and uh, especially when it's something that you could easily have more control over. So just by investing in a few more layers and being willing to carry a little bit more weight, I have a lot more fun on my backpacking trips now. 
And I have a lot more peace of mind because I don't feel like I'm on the edge of having a major problem. Kelly Flora walked the Appalachian Trail in 2018. You're probably reading her a lot these days as she is the lead writer for the trek. I really like that she takes a few extra bags because the truth is, wrapping your feet in a bag is going to keep it much drier than any fancy sock. And also that she heats her water in the winter and stays cozy eating a warm meal right before crawling into bed. But maybe the most memorable bit she shared was not having any shame carrying all the coats that she needs. I, too, get really cold when I backpack. And I've just tried to hike faster because I thought I wasn't abiding the rules if I took too many clothes. But Kelly threw that out the window by taking four coats, and she really uses them. Didn't it feel to you that both Kelly and Alan gave us permission to carry what we really need and to balance that with cutting back with what might not be necessary? But whatever you choose to carry with you on a backpack trip, you've got to test it before going out. Take it for a spin. See how it holds up on what is called a shakedown hike. I think you really hit on just one of the basic things that people don't do enough which is test before you go. I can remember when I was first starting out with the ultralight and they'd forecast like a six degree night in the Blue Ridge. And I would just like, you know, I'd take leave off of work and leave at like two in the afternoon to get up on the Blue Ridge so I could sleep out and cook in six degrees to see what I could get away with. And, you know, the car's only like five miles away so if things really go south, I can just go hike out and stick the keys in the ignition and go home. But it really makes sense, um, you know, your shoes, your sleeping bag, your tent. You know, if it's going to just like piss down rain in your backyard and you haven't tested your tent in pouring rain, go set up your tent. You know, be, be curious about this. You know, you don't want to find this out on day three of a 14-day hike on the John Muir Trail. I've got Kelly's gear list in the show notes as well as Alan's. Do keep in touch with us and let us know what you have in your pack. I'm sure we'll do more shows on this in the future. You can reach us at walkingdistanceatthetrek.co. Original music was composed by Daniel Nass. And thanks so much to today's title sponsor, Gossamer Gear, manufacturers of high-quality, lightweight backpacking gear and accessories. You can save 15% on your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use code WALKINGDISTANCE, all one word, WALKINGDISTANCE, and save 15% off your order at gossamergear.com. I'm Blissful Hiker, and you've been listening to Walking Distance from the Track.